Coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, I'm Lisa Sharon Harper, president of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. Welcome to the Freedom Road podcast. Each episode, we speak with national faith leaders, advocates, artists, and activists to have the kinds of conversations that we normally have on the front lines. It's just that this time we've got microphones in our faces and you are listening in. In this episode, we are joined by the filmmakers of the newly released and riveting documentary, Bad Faith, Christian Nationalism's Unholy War on Democracy. Director Stephen Ulaki has produced more than 25 feature films made for television movies and documentaries, and he served at the, as the dean of the Loyola Marymount University School of Film and Television. With 10 years of directing and producing experience in Hollywood, Chris Jones is the co-director of the film. And Bad Faith offers us all an incredible lesson in the roots and fruits of Christian nationalism in the U.S. The film follows two streams of evangelicalism, one rooted in the thick faith that fueled the abolitionist, suffrage, civil rights, and environmental justice movements, and the other is rooted in the racialized weaponization of thin fundamentalist faith. So bad faith follows these two streams as they vie for the soul of American democracy. We would love to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts. So please tweet to me, thread to me, Insta to me, Facebook to me. Let us know at Lisa S. Harper um, on Twitter and also on Instagram and threads and Lisa Sharon Harper on Facebook. And also, you can also um, let us know what you think at Freedom Road and all of those places. It's Freedom Road Us um, or Freedom Road.us on, on Facebook. So keep sharing the podcast also with your friends. Our audience continues to grow and it is exciting that we have folks listening from all over the world, y'all. Thank you so much. Thanks for being faithful listeners. Um, so let's dive in. So I would love to um, to ask you, my first question always is kind of where do you come into this conversation with regard to your faith? So the way that I'm going to like frame this is you guys are both Hollywood filmmakers. Um, one of you at least has connection to the Catholic Church. So what is it that led you to invest five years of your life understanding evangelicalism? Um, okay, we can each answer that. I mean, I you're right. Yeah. I um, I did grow up, uh, was raised Catholic. Uh, and I, after Trump was elected, in a large part with the help of evangelicals, I wanted to find out more about evangelicals. Mm -hmm. uh, it turned out that the the reactionary branch didn't want to talk to us, but the I would say the more progressive evangelicals did. And it turned out that I realized that they were like the social justice liberal Catholics that, that I knew, mm -hmm. that there was that similarity uh, mm -hmm. following the teachings of Jesus mm -hmm. that they were faithful to, um, which the reactionary evangelicals, the ones with the bad faith, uh, were not even using Jesus other than abusing him and using him, as Reverend Barber said, as, as though he had been a founding member of the NRA. That anyway, is so true. <laughs> yeah. So that's what our path took us along meeting mm -hmm. people like yourself, Reverend Barber, um, as well as conservative evangelicals like Russell Moore, mm -hmm. uh, who were anti-Trump from the beginning. And so, mm -hmm. Chris, you give us your your take on it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, both of my parents were raised in the Catholic Church, and mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it was about the 90s. I was born in 1990, um, mm -hmm. but they, they always had this connection to the decorum and the doctrine of the Catholic Church, but um, they gravitated towards the evangelical church. Um, uh, I mean, from my earliest memories, uh, this is in Sacramento, California. Um, wow. They were in the choir. And I mean, we were, we were, we were at church at least three days a week. And yeah, I, guess I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just, uh, we, we commuted or we drove, you know, over an hour to get to church too. Cause we lived out in the foothills east of Sacramento. And, um, oh, wow. um, so it was just something that I embraced and accepted. It was just the way things worked. And, um, I guess 
I never really challenged my faith or had any questions about my faith until I had kind of a cultural awakening going to UC Berkeley for undergrad and um, just getting exposed to all different types of perspectives. Because I grew up in a very homogenous, uh, right. very white, uh, very conservative part of California. And mm-hmm. um, um, I had always heard these statements like, oh, you know, we are the one true religion. And um, I started meeting uh, like Jewish classmates, Muslim classmates who I became really close with. And it was like, wait, so you're telling me that these people are all misguided. They're all, you know, they're, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it to heaven. Um, Mm -hmm. and as like a 20 year old, that was really disturbing to me. And Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of, a lot of the most prominent figures who I saw from the evangelical church, uh, in popular media, who I saw in popular media, were always embroiled in some kind of scandal or some abusive, uh, the church coffers or, um, so I was just very skeptical. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was until we started interviewing you and folks from Sojourners where I guess I kind of got attuned to a lot of people who were saying, you know, like, forget about all of the Christianity stuff. Like, let's, let's start with the scripture. And, um, Mm. um, I think it was Randy Woodley at the, um, Mm -hmm. at the, uh, Sojourners conference back in 2019. He said something to that effect. He said, I'm, you know, there's a period of my life where I didn't identify as a Christian, but I am a follower of Jesus. And I thought like, what do you mean? Like it kind of broke my brain. Um, yeah, he will do that. (laughs) Yes. and Jim Wallace, uh, when we interviewed him, echoed uh, similar sentiments from back when he was in the uh, anti-war movement in the in the sixties. And yeah, and you know, for those who are not familiar with Randy Woodley, he's actually um, he's a senior consultant here at Freedom Road. Um, he's one of my longtime mentors, and he actually is uh, Kitawa Cherokee. Um, uh, a band and his wife is Eastern Shoshone band. And so they've been really doing a lot of work on decolonizing the Christian faith, um, understanding that since Constantine, um, this Middle Eastern Afro-Asian faith, Hebrew faith has been co-opted by Europe and and really changed. And so that's a lot of his work. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but just for a sense of reference for folks who don't know him. And we'll have him on. Certainly we'll have him on this in the next um, this next season. So how about this? In the film, I remember when we sat down before COVID um, and you were very much in exploratory mode. By the way, you know, spoiler alert, I'm in the film, y'all. <laughs> I'm actually in the film. I was like, I was totally into it. I was watching it. You know, they sent me a screener and I'm sitting there watching it and and then on one level, I'm like, when am I going to show up? And then another level, I was like, <laughs> when I finally did, I, I didn't recognize it. I was like, wait, that looks familiar. That's a familiar picture. Oh, wait, that's from my high school. <laughs> oh, and that's my voice. I was like, it was really kind of fun. So um, so anyway, you you really didn't know kind of where the story was going to take you at that time. So I'm just wondering, when was it that you began to realize this is the story? Well, I mean... To your point, I mean, the, the thing that was, we, we were exploring what the film was about at the same time as the country was undergoing these changes. That's right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So we spent the first year or two, we were, I, I mean, we thought that the goal of the film was to show people that Christian nationalism had the potential for violence, had the potential mm-hmm. for terrorists, domestic terrorists. Right. After January 6th, we said, wait a minute. We've that's just been we don't need to prove they did it more. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> they did it. So now what? What is our film trying to show people that they don't know? Yeah. And then of course it turned out with all the denialism and the big lie and all that, even though that had happened, there was a huge denial that it had happened. So now we had to right. go deeper than that to say, okay, what's behind all that? What is that big movement that actually doesn't care about anything other than their version of the truth? Wow. And um, so that's, you know, and then we ended up finally uh, deciding, okay, when are we going to end it? How do we end it? And we Mm -hmm. chose the 2022 midterms because it was the first 
election that showed the reaction to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So yeah. that showed that there was actually of the overreach on the part of the radical right, so-called religious, was happening. Mm -hmm. And so that we thought, okay, let's end it here. Um, and um, and also just simply say, um, watch out because these people are not going to give up. Their goal is to overturn democracy. Nothing short of that. Yeah, I think the pivotal interview for us kind of yeah. on our journey was actually uh, Jonathan Wilson Hardgrove. Um, mm. um, and I don't remember if we met him through you or I'm sure I'm oh, sure there was I'm sure you had a hand in it. I'm sure you did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's a very good friend. But I mean, a lot of us who were in the film actually have worked together over many years. And so yeah. who knows who you, you know, it just but there's it's a, it's a network. It really is a, a beautiful yeah. web. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, Jonathan tapped us into the work of Ann Nelson, which I think it kind of took us from uh, this very focused look into, I guess what you'd say, more liberal evangelical, the more liberal evangelical community to something that was a bit broader, looking at the machinery that mm -hmm. Christian nationalism was kind of being abused by um, in order to sort of, you know, fulfill their objectives. Um so I think that that was when we kind of we had a little bit more of a uh, we had a clearer target I think but it, it made things much more complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you're right, Lisa, that there was a network. Once we, thanks to you, starting with you, and you turned us on to some people who turned us on to other people, and as Chris said, it was we realized that Christian nationalism was to some extent was just the cover story, uh, mm. that it was actually has been harnessed by people whose economic political interests had nothing to do with that but they were using it and it was convenient as in the same way that they used the abortion thing as opposed to as you pointed out in the film as opposed to the white supremacy flag they you, they raised the abortion flag to get the you know the so many uh yeah so many evangelicals on their side and it was a completely bogus issue that's how it expanded and that's how it became much deeper and it became much more than about christian nationalism because it was about the forces that were using it to achieve their own political purposes yes exactly and i think that's what really, that's what really kind of surfaced for me as i was watching it um because i really did learn i learned especially in the second half of the film when you really dive into um, the inner workings of the business model, of the economic model, of um, the institutions that were built up and their, the network that exists, that was like, wow. Now, I have seen like whispers of that. I've heard people talk about it, but to see it visually and also relationally, to see how central Paul Weyrich was to this whole thing. That basically, the thing that struck me is that we're basically all living inside of Paul Weyrich's head. That's <laughs> what we're doing right now. We're all living inside of Paul Weyrich's head. I mean, how did that strike you? You mean when we discovered this? Yeah, I mean, as as you were uncovering this. I mean, it's thanks to Ann Nelson and Ann Nelson's book. You know, I mean, Catherine um, Stewart's book was really, really good talking about Christian nationalism, but Ann went a lot deeper into it and i think we realized okay we finally this is the real subject mm -hmm. of the film that has to be part of it that it's not and Anne kept saying just make sure you're focusing not just on christian nationalism but on the forces that are harnessing it and using it and exploiting it that's uh, and so that's good. what we attempted to do in, in the in the film mm -hmm. what ann always says is you know <clears throat> follow the money so um yeah. I think with with Paul Weyrich, um, I mean, he founded the American Legislative Exchange Council. He was a co-founder of the Heritage Foundation. He was a co-founder of the Federalist Society. Like he was building up this network of think tanks that didn't exist on the right sort of as a reaction to. Um, was it the 64 election, Steve? Um, yeah, the Goldwater that the, the, the Goldwater got crushed and these extremely extreme right-wing reactionary Republicans were devastated and 
and Weirich and Vigory and Morton Blackwell all came were part of that campaign and they were enormously bitter that uh, and they figured they had to do something about it and mm -hmm. and they did they did um they really we're living did. now in that world we're living in a world that the Republicans have the, the extreme radical Republicans have managed to move the whole country into a reactionary environment I mean we're living as you said in Paul Weirich's head right now this is what he wanted to have happen and it's happening and our goal and all of our goals is to try to alert people to that so we can get out of it mm -hmm. and save our country save our country I guess what's surprising to me about or at least working on the film and looking at Paul Weirich's the scope of his work um I feel like the Council for National Policy is at least the least out in the open of the organizations that he was, you know, participated yes. with or, or helped organize, which is crazy to me because I mean that's that's the most overtly, like at least ostensibly religious uh organization. Um and wow. I guess something that we've always kind of struggled with in how we define our terms and even the term Christian nationalism, which we can talk about later, which is I don't is imperfect. Um mm -hmm. there's this sense that because it's because people are expressing it as an extension of their faith like you you therefore can't criticize it or anything like that and wow. i guess using it as a veil um that's the power of it yeah the power that's right you're right exactly if masquer as we say masquerading as a religion when in fact it's a political movement that's that's anti-christian i mean it's quite a it's a huge it's the big lie mm -hmm. So I have a question, and this is, I mean, it's, it might feel a little bit redundant because I think you actually intimated towards it, um, Stephen, but I'd love to hear you guys dig a little deeper into this. Why bad faith now? Why now? I would say why now? Because now it, it has gotten closer to power than it ever has. Um, you had people a couple of years ago, like Franklin Graham, denying that Christian nationalism existed. Then you had people sort of acknowledging and saying, like Mayor Marjorie Taylor Greene, yes, I'm a Christian nationalist. And that's because they feel that they are ascendant. They feel that they are so close to power now that they don't need to hide anything. They can flat out say exactly what they're planning to do, and nobody's going to stop them. Yeah. Um, and, and again, as somebody pointed out, this Mike Johnson, the leader you know the house speaker who talks about what is his what does he believe in the bible well that's we know that that's complete bs mm -hmm. um that's the cover that's again using religion to to conceal what the true motives are the true goals so now why now it's because now more than ever especially with the risk of trump getting reelected, um more than ever it's time to send out the alert uh to save our country as sort of an extension of what we were just talking about, I think yeah. it's sort of, it's not up to us to say whether someone is an authentic believer or anything like that, because this is not an anti-faith film at all, um, which I hope was clear. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's why we focus so much on the infrastructure. We're like, okay, well, they're saying this over here, they're holding up the cross over here, but then you look at the oil and gas infrastructure that's supporting their campaigns that's supporting their messaging over here and you're like wait a second like those aren't related are they how does that make sense um so i think that's why we had to kind of dig into the infrastructure because again if you take the language uh, at face value you're kind of like well i can't say that they're they they don't believe this i can't say that they're not true believers right um because mm. that's not up to us but so i think that's why we tried to focus a little bit more on uh the machinery um uh which is yeah like steve said is is i mean they do feel ascendant um because they are powerful and they are building steam and i think now that they feel that they can express these sentiments vocally they feel more emboldened it seems um, yeah i mean talk about ascendant they they are literally now the majority of the house of representatives on the republican side and they are the Speaker of the House. I mean, that's yeah. utterly yeah. ascendant. Plus, they have Trump up for, up for up for election this year. The 
These are our stories. You're listening to the Freedom Road podcast, where we bring you stories from the front lines of the struggle for justice. So I want to come back and I want to ask you if you can tell us the story of your greatest aha moment while making the film. Like what was the the time when you went, whoa, I didn't know that. Wow, that kind of changes everything. Okay, let me take a shot at it because I love that's a great question. And then Chris, you can follow up. We were reading <clears throat> Ann Nelson's book. Uh-huh. And on page 92, I think it was, um, she talked about a manifesto. What is the name of her book, by the way? Her, the Shadow Network. Okay. Shadow so everybody Network. read Shadow Network. <laughs> and I think, what is this the tagline? I'm not, I'm not, I keep, I keep forgetting the tagline, uh, but it's Shadow Network, a great book. Okay. Um, and she talks about the fact that Paul Weirich issued a manifesto in the early 2000s because he was absolutely convinced that the electoral system was never going to achieve its goal of, of, of delivering a Christian nation. Yeah. And that therefore they could not use democracy. Democracy was in fact the enemy because we the majority rule was against the quote, will of God, the God. So we said, wait a minute. So, and the plan was to use guerrilla tactics, insurrection, destroy people's faith in the institutions. So, wait a minute. So, in other words, that's where we are today was the plan all along. It's not just, it wasn't, wasn't a byproduct yes. of the fact that there's division in the country. Division in the country and loss of faith was the plan, and which has succeeded incredibly well. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to interject here because I actually one of the things that struck me about that moment in the film was that I felt like this was this is this is like it's not a new thing. It's the thing. And it's the thing that the segregationists of the Jim Crow era did in the right. South because yeah. they could not win an election numerically if everybody voted. So what did they do? They suppressed the vote. Democracy was a threat to white male supremacy in the South. So what did they do? They they bombed churches in order to help, in order to stop them from organizing um, to uh, right. to to get people to vote. Well, the right. same thing is happening now. It's the organizing. They've basically gone back to the Jim Crow um, uh, yeah. playbook. Yeah, there's a, that famous Weimar quote. He said that they actually do well. They do better. The fewer people who vote, the better they do. Because yeah. they are an incredibly committed minority, and they know that an incredibly committed minority can actually win elections if you've got an apathetic general public. Wow. And Wow. So, so you're right. It goes back to that. That has always been, they have been against majority rule because majority rule the more people who vote who are don't look like them, the less, as Anne says in in the film, they were going to they were going to lose more and more elections as the de demographics of the country changed. Yeah. So this now, is the panic mode. Um, Michelle Bachman says this is the last election. That's right. You know because you know so that's there that's tremendous fear that's behind all this and Trump's ability to stoke that fear is why we you know we're, we make the point that he actually christian nationalism created him because uh, he was able to parlay the all his grievances and to make people think that he represented them but anyway mm. um yes minority rule is what they want because that's the only way they can accomplish their goals now what do we need to understand about christian nationalism that you came to understand through the process of making bad faith I think primarily that <laughs> I guess it doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a complete distortion of the, the, the like beautiful tradition of the Christian faith. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I think, I, I think that's, that's the trouble of this term that we've come to embrace. Cause it's a term that was, that was devised by sociologists. Um to sort of track this phenomenon. Um, mm -hmm. And it, 
you know, is used very frequently in public discourse now. But I think mm -hmm. um, that's the the danger of the term, though. I guess people are often like, okay, Christianity, that's great. Nationalism, that's patriotism, right? Those are the same thing? Okay, oh, wow. this seems good to me. Um, we were just at the Palm Springs uh, Film Festival premiering the film, and mm -hmm. my mother was there. She posted something on Facebook about like, oh, I'm so proud they released the film. And one of our, um, one of our neighbors back home said, oh my gosh, I didn't realize Chris was an atheist. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, Whoa. what about it? They're like, well, you know, it's called bad faith. Um, so, you know, and it yeah. said Christian nationalism is unholy. Like, <laughs> so we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, um, so I'll wow. have to have like a study group when I go home or something. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. That's it's it's not. In fact, Catherine um, Stewart calls it religious nationalism, but it's not religious either. No, it's yeah. it's. It's it's false idols. It's something that comes. It's very much out of Jonathan has something near the end of the film about that evil has never presented itself as evil. It always presents itself as the good. Yeah, uh, which is a great quote. a great line, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that there's nothing. It's using and exploiting religion to accomplish a political extremist political goal, um, and that's. The, what we're trying to show in the film, and yet, as Chris points out, just the fact that it's called Christian nationalism mm -hmm. is almost like, say, wait a minute, how could it be Your Christianity is good, this is Christian nationalism, why is it bad? It's like Marjorie Taylor right. Greene says, hey, I'm a Christian, and I'm a nationalist, I guess I'm a Christian nationalist. Mm -hmm. Well, no. Um, and, and that's something that I wish we had maybe done even better. That's going to room for more education to explain, to break down the fact that it is actually uh, some, it is, these are false idols. These are people who pretend to speak for God and who have nothing godly about them. So um, how would you, how would you define Christian nationalism today? Like how, how do you guys understand it now? Well, according to Sam Perry, uh, it is the, the the thing that people have a problem with is that, wait a minute, how could church going people accept Donald Trump? Well, yeah. the reality is and what Sam Perry has found out a couple things. One, those people who are the most committed to this don't go to church. That's it's right. It's a category. They're called the evangelicals. I mean, they're not a lot of them are are not they're accepting that moniker. But they're not church going. They're political evangelicals. They're political evangelicals, say, yeah. and and as Sam says, that we this movement has become more and more secular, mm. as it is mm -hmm. in in Europe. That they are secular. They're using God. Yeah, they say God, but they're not at all religious. Um, they're using God because that's the, the, what you do when you're trying to sell something. Um, and you try to find something right. that everybody believes in and say, well, that's us. We believe in that. Mm -hmm. uh, but in fact, what needs to be done is to point out that it is the exact opposite of anything mm -hmm. that Jesus ever said or wanted or was, was in any way the basis for, I would say, true Christianity. Mm -hmm. A lot of conservatives think, look at Reverend Barber and think he's really a radical. This is like, that's not Christianity. So that's we use it in the film as an example of here's somebody who is following Jesus, and this is exactly what, and he's following in the path of Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Except we're in such a reactionary period now that 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 appears very radical. It's not radical. It was the same thing that Martin Luther King was preaching, and you know, and um, but the country mm -hmm. has turned so rightward that they are now castigating him as they would Martin Luther King today were he alive. I so think. what would you guys say that you found in terms of the tie between the Christian nationalism, race and white white supremacy in particular, and money? Like, because that's the interesting kettle yeah. that you brew in your in your film. And the first part of the film we see a lot of the the racist, the white supremacist roots 
of white of white Christian nationalism. You have pictures of the Klan and others, other places like that. Um, uh, you know, all the way through, and then we kind of shift into this money place. Like, where do you, where does all this come together? How do how do those two things link? Well, as you said, we the the we we were showing the racism of the KKK and Christian nationalism in the fifties and sixties. And then we show, we jump to Jesse Helms, the famous right. segregationist, talking about all of these um, atheists and these, uh, whatever other words he used, he's talking about, he's talking about the progress that, that has been made in the civil rights movement and how this is actually godless. This is actually, those people are, so there's a shift. Now they are, and then Paul Weirich picks this up and says, hey, we've got to be a Christian nation. Code for, we've got to stop that from happening. We've got to stand in the way of it. So at one point, we were more wow. explicitly making that where that shift takes place. But but we decided, again, to pull back and let the people speak for themselves, and you can figure this out. Not oh, I think it's pretty clear. I think it is clear. <laughs> you know, that they did this. Okay, now they got mm -hmm. a better. Okay, so then Weirich. So even though the basis for the religious right coming together had to do with tax exemption and refusal to accept integration, they then they realized they could use this abortion. The evangelicals, I mean, the, the Southern Baptist Conference was in very much in favor of Roe versus Wade when it came out in 73. That's right. Okay. They didn't care. The evangelicals did not care about this. Wyrick who was actually this, this very reactionary Catholic. In fact, he left the Catholic Church to join some kind of Greek sect that was even more strict. He knew that the Catholic, he knew that the Catholics were against abortion. And if the Catholic the conservative Catholics and the conservative evangelicals were going to come together in the moral majority, there had to be something that they all agreed with. Mm. So they got, Weirich got these guys, Falwell, Roberts, and others, to consider abortion as that link. Right. And look how successful it has gone. And you you say it in the film. This is mm -hmm. that one of the things that really, really blows people's minds in the film when they realize, wait a minute. I mean, they were using abortion as a cover for this uh, real reason that... And it's been that this whole racist white supremacist line has been absolutely consistent throughout. And as you and other people who write about this, Jonathan Wilson Hargrove, you know, the slave owner's religion, it's always been religion has always been used by whoever is in power to justify their power and what they do. And so Christianity has been, you know, has been a tool, as Reverend Barber says, and abused for a long time. And it's now happening today. So the thing that is striking to me, and I mean, and Chris, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, is that when you get into the money part, you can right. kind of lose the connection to race. And you can also kind of lose even the connection to abortion because it's no longer about one issue. It's kind of about all of them. It's about <clears throat> supremacy. The su and, and so I think we just... I never really understood or or saw so clearly the commitment of these businesses to maintain white male supremacy, that that's why they're pouring money into um, this network, because the network is ultimately about maintaining what white Christian America, which ultimately is about white patriarchy, right? So what... Did, would you agree with that? Is that did I did I hear that right? No, absolutely right. And and there actually there was a woman who came up to me after uh, the screening in Palm Springs and said, "Listen, this is all about maintaining the white patriarchy." And I said, "Yeah, that's what actually Lisa Sharon Harper says in her film. We know that's underlying it all." She was talking, "How is ever going to change? How are people going to?" She said, "The deepest level of it." is white supremacy and the male, the white male patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But to your point about the money, the notion that people who have, like very wealthy people who want tax breaks and who want no regulation, 
that are something of their own very narrow interest. No, it's not in anybody else's interest. Okay, what do you do? You've got to get some cover. You've got to be actually, quote, advocating or seem to be advocating for something that a lot of people like or would benefit from. There's wow. a famous book, Thomas Frank, What's the Matter with Kansas, that explains Republicans have always represented the business interests. And they have been successful now more than ever before in cloaking that with this cultural issue, which <clears throat> having to do with abortion, mm -hmm. the rights of the unborn, which is a joke. I mean, it's a complete joke, but it's been so successful. Uh, and it's so hypocritical because they none of them believed it, but they realized that's what they had to say to make it work. Right. Um, and, and the money, <clears throat> as you, you say, the money essentially wants to make sure that their businesses can grow, that they have fewer taxes, that the deregulation takes place. That's why the extreme right is also in climate change denial. All these things are linked to the to the business interest. Every everything they say. Now, are the Koch brothers concerned about religion or theocracy? No, not that's no. They're they're interested in the bottom line. I mean, mm -hmm. you know. And as Steve Schmidt said, who was at our, and he says, is Jared Kushner interested in theocracy? No, he's interested in the two billion dollars he got from the Saudis. Hmm. Stephen Miller, what's is he interested in theocracy? No, he's interested in creating concentration camps and deporting people. That's so right. So there are a number of people who benefit from all this, whose interests are not purely religious. And again, this goes back to our theme: religion is being used and exploited as a cover for their own very specific economic and political interests. There's also like cottage industries well not cottage industry stuff but you look at the like monopolistic consolidation of media entities that's been taking place over the past several decades yes. um and ann nelson gets into this in the film um where and i think this is sort of one of the i guess aha moments for me when we we're making the mm -hmm. film is just sort of how in a lot of the midwest the south um you know there isn't exactly uh a lot of independent journalism happening there aren't a lot of uh not not everywhere but you know you look at somewhere like rural missouri or like rural south dakota um you know fox and sinclair kind of have like a death grip on those communities so if you know mm. if all you have is mm. uh the one or like a couple radio stations or something like it, the one radio station or the one you know weekly newspaper or something that's yeah. unbeknownst to these people are all owned by the same entity you're like well yeah I, I get my news here and i get it here and it's like, well actually it's all coming from the same place um i feel like that's one of the things about this where um i i've developed so much empathy i guess for i think a lot of people who have you know very inappropriately been referred to as like living in the flyover states or something like that i think right. that's what this is what allows someone like trump to emerge these people who felt like they didn't have any agency uh in the in this sort of conversation about who we are as a people um and not to say that i mean it's um not necessarily the most uh like I spent a lot of time in Wyoming. It's not exactly the most racially diverse place, but these people feel like they're like, hey, like, why aren't they making movies about us in Hollywood or whatever? <laughs> like, it's sort of mm. like, they're kind of like, hey, they, they feel that their perspective is not being heard or acknowledged. So then mm -hmm. when someone like Trump shows up and is like, yeah, it's not, it's not, I, I've got your back. And then we're like, we know he, it's bull, but, um, but they're like, hey, something different, something interesting. Um, Wow. So what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing from you both is that for the folks who um, who subscribe to this far right Christian nationalist movement and may not honestly may not even actually identify as a Christian nationalist, but they would vote that way. They vote in that stream are not they are not necessarily motivated by hatred of people of color, right? They might be motivated now by hatred of the libs, right? The liberals 
because right. the liberals have been cast as the enemy, but it's not, they would not necessarily see themselves as being motivated by quote white supremacy, but they are doing white supremacy. They're doing the work of white supremacy in trying to establish their own protect themselves and establish their own, you know, economic supremacy at the expense of others. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, that is, in fact, the genius of what they're doing and and mm -hmm. why, uh, because they are able to cover their tracks so well and to make so many people feel that they are representing their interests um, while they're mm -hmm. doing such damage. I mean, it really wow. is up to the Democrats Party or the liberals to well, I, I should say this, that Weirich used the example of the Democrats as a model for what he was doing. He saw with the labor unions, with the Democratic Party in the 50s and 60s, it was a machine. I mean, they had a group mm -hmm. of people. They were going to vote one way. They were going to be supportive. And that's what he ended up doing with the evangelicals. He turned them wow. into this, this Christian political machine that was based on what the Democrats have been doing with the labor unions, which, of course, when Reagan came to power, they managed to demolish. That's right. That's right. I think what's particularly insidious about this is mm -hmm. um, I think you had alluded to glue earlier. We have a segment in the film looking at how they are tapping into and just like organizations like I360, um, which is funded by the Koch brothers, um, glue is able to tap mm -hmm. into uh, self-revealed mental health data of individuals who are attending their churches and they're micro-targeting micro -targeting them with advertisements, like political advertisements, uh, when they know that they're in a vulnerable place. Um, oh, wow. It was one of those things where, uh, this is, we got this information from Brent Allpress, who's sort of a, an investigative researcher um, and a colleague of Ann Nelson's, uh -huh. um, where yeah, they're they're going into these worship spaces. Uh, they're actively engaging with pastors who are willfully giving out information on their parishioners yeah. uh, to these groups who can then use that information for whatever purposes see, they wish. No, so here's the thing: is that I mean, I've I have actually had intersection with glue. Like they actually in 2019. I was at a retreat. I was called together with a with a few, a handful of people of color and a handful of white folk who are leaders um, in this evangelical world to talk about race. I don't know what I don't know what prompted it. Um, I know that there were some some of the organizations that were listed in your chart <laughs> were there, including Glue. And um, and and one of the things that they very, very proudly talked about was the was that software that you talk about but they did not talk about it being used for political purposes at all it was all about you know all about church growth it's like how to have church growth how to um how to target the people who are going to be most likely to come to your church and you know have messages that actually resonate with them that was the the entirety of the message that we received um, in well, that, that, that space. That's the pitch. In fact, Lisa, you've explained exactly how they succeed in getting tens of thousands of pastors to fulfill, do their programming for them oh by God. making that point. This is how you can grow your church. Follow with us. And I mean, you saw Watchmen on the Wall, the that whole Perkins thing. I mean, that it's this massive organization. I mean, the pastors are well-meaning people for the most part. I mean, of course, and they're told, listen, we can help you do what you're good. We can help you do what you want to do. Spread the good word. <laughs> yeah. But then, but what you're saying is, but then what they actually yeah. do, in addition to the good stuff that they are, that they say they're going to do, because they do do that, right? Like that's why it's become so big because it actually works for these churches. Yeah. But they are they also, according to you and your sources, they are also pumping political messaging out that is partisan and um, moves congregations in a particular partisan direction. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. It's what Weirich said even in 1980. He was trying to get the pastors to vote and to vote their way. I mean, it's right. always been right. the pastors because of the fact that I didn't realize this at the time, but the evangelical congregations really listened 
and obey their pastor because they do believe that their pastor is speaking the words of God. There's that line and thing in the film when Falwell is interviewed by somebody and he said, that's a tremendous, he's, he's explains that. He said, well, they do follow. And, and, and the guy said, the reporter said, that's a tremendous amount of power. Falwell said, yeah, yes. Walking Freedom Road from coast to coast and around the globe, this is the Freedom Road Podcast. I think it's, again, I think maybe this was evident, but I don't, like, glue isn't sending, you know, advertisements to people. I think it's just the idea that they're making that information accessible to other entities. Um, I just wanted to make that clear. Like, I think that's, because like the Council for National Policy, you look at our organizational chart, um, a lot of these connections, like, okay, there's board members on the Council for National Policy who are also the presidents of, like, you know, the Faith and Freedom Coalition or something like that. Um, um, so I think I just wanted to make that distinction. Like, I No, think. that's actually really helpful. So it's not like Glue is putting out these partisan um, ads, but rather Glue is offering the information they receive from the pastors to other entities that are not so innocent. Well, they're well, doing glue, what they told glue, you they would. <laughs> glue, glue is not innocent either. Glue is according yeah. to, Glue is specifically created in order to accomplish that, to suck as much information as possible out of these various congregations. They're not a Yeah, I just mean to say organization. that they're, they're not actually marketing like a candidate or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But but they make that they make that data available to whoever is paying them, whether it's yeah, another pastor yeah. or. And, yeah, I, and Barna, the same thing. Wow. Same whoop, thing. Whoop. Yeah. You just. You messing, you are messing. I mean, because this Barna the thing is like, that, yeah, Barna is I mean, seen to be incredibly, I mean, incredibly, um, they're kind of a, they're one of those like pillar organizations. You may as well, like with Barna, you may as well name Campus Crusade for Christ and Christianity Today. Like they're, they're pillars in the white evangelical world. Barna is one of those pillars. So yeah. I saw it on your chart. I wondered how did it get there? Well, I mean, it accomplishes a lot of this is from the research of both Catherine Stewart and Ann Nelson, mm-hmm. who heavily went into and interviewed the people involved. And everything we have in the film is backed up by very solid documentary evidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ann Nelson's book is like 70 pages of like at the end of all of citing all her, her sources. So wow. this is very specifically the uh, political goals. Barna has a very definite political agenda. These are not just simply public service organizations. Wow. Everybody, you're going to have to go out and get Ann Nelson's book. I'm going to have to go out and get her book. Maybe we'll have her on here um, as well. So I have to ask you guys this. On the other side of making the film, what are the questions that are kind of still hanging in the air for you? Like, What don't you, what do you still not understand? Or that questions that were raised by making the film? Well, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I try um, to do that. <laughs> I I would say the in, the thing for us that we still are trying to figure out is how do we f- more fully succeed in reaching the people who need to know about this? Because mm-hmm. um, we in our film use Reverend Barber, for example, as an example of opposition to what was going on. He's a mm-hmm. through he's a through line of somebody. Mm-hmm. In the midst of all the bad stuff that they're they're doing and are succeeding with, here's a man in an organization that has got their number and is calling them out for being unchristian and for being violating all of God's and Jesus's precepts. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, he's a controversial figure because of the fact that they look at him and think, "Okay, this is a radical. This is the extreme left." Right. Um, and I think um, that. So how do you actually get to people in a way in which they're not able to dismiss who's talking as being automatically on the wrong side? How do you how do you reach these people? Because it's not just intellectually. You have to somehow reach people emotionally. And I think the film 
certainly on a large screen with the music and the full effect, I think people were stunned, were moved emotionally by it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there were a number of people who probably felt, well, this is a this is a very left version of the reality. How do we actually come across? How is it possible to con convince a lot of people? No, this we're trying to give you as as to say neutral, but as as an, an unbiased account as possible. When five years ago, when I was starting this thing, just around the time or before that. I hired Chris and said, hey, we started on our journey. I asked Ken Burns, I said what I wanted to do. He said, make it a history. Right. I saw that. I saw that you did that. That was really good. Make it a history. Mm -hmm. Then people, you take them through and they kind of understand how we got here. And it's less for them. It's less easy mm -hmm. for them to dismiss it because you can see the steps that brought us here. And Can I just say that that is the most powerful thing about the structure of your film is that you literally walk us through how it happened, when it happened, how it happened, what were the decision points, who were the decision makers? I mean, it was just, that was brilliant. And I have to say also, I came out of watching it thinking, this should be a PBS documentary. One of those things that PBS takes up and actually like a Ken Burns film um, that they play all the time so that everybody in the country has an opportunity to see it. Yeah, yeah. We, people have said that, that this could be this. They think that there's a possibility. We haven't contacted them yet, but now well, that the film to. is finished, I know we're going to. We, we're going to because, um, I mean, it's a relatively unbiased film, in, in my opinion. We have advice all along the way from very top editors saying, let them, let the, these people speak their minds. Let's have people hear what they have to say. You don't have to keep hammering and mm -hmm. saying these are bad. Let people figure that out. Because as soon as you tell somebody something, they're going to react against it. But yeah. if you let somebody say something which is, let's say, questionable or you don't agree with, that causes the audience to actually have to engage and ask themselves, well, is this right mm -hmm. or not? Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to do. Nobody wants to be told, you know, and too much of, you know, television, too much of media is certainly what they say about television. The class, tell people what they're going to see, show them what they're going to see, mm -hmm. show it to them, and then tell them what they just saw, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that, again, all that does is, you know, we did not make this film to preach to the choir. We were hoping to reach beyond and of course, if there's any, that's the challenge that we have and that I hope through get, getting it out through you and through many other people, we can reach beyond the natural constituency, let's say, who would be open to it mm -hmm. so that other people, and if we're successful, it'll be because they're listening to the history. But to your point about what could we, what did we learn? What could we do better or differently? Um I think if anything, if there's a follow-up, we thought if there's anything further we can do based on this, um, we I think we'd love to, to do it. But of course, there's not going to be any time before the election. But right. I was actually going to ask you, yeah. the story is continuing. So how do you the see story, this playing yeah. itself out in 2024? Well, some people have suggested that we should also, at the very end of the film, put that the Heritage Foundation bullet point plan for what is going to happen when Trump wins. Right. That's Project 2025? Yes, Project right. 2025 is a direct continuation of the, of the Weyrich Manifesto. Mm. These people have been incredibly consistent, and they've been saying for a long time what they were planning on to do. Nobody listened, or at least people who felt safely, again, having dismissed these people as not being important to to pay attention to. Well, um, they were wrong. We were wrong. Mm. I was wrong. I realized what a complete elitist I was to have completely dismissed and have, I knew nothing. I, I knew really nothing. I did mm. not know what I didn't know. Wow. And now I learned how much I, I did not know. And, um, Anyway, so I'm, Chris, you give your version. 
Yeah. And, and Chris, I wonder, would you be able to expound a little bit on Project 2025? I mean, um, and how that is playing everything forward? Uh, I can't speak eloquently to Project 2025 specifically. Okay. Um, I don't know, Steve, if you've how familiar you are with the document. It's 1,300 pages. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, uh, so I, I I haven't had time to read the entire document, uh, unfortunately. Um, I think, um, I guess this movement uh, has a voracious appetite for power. And um, I guess what I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I have my Mr. Smith goes to Washington approach, which is sort of like, okay, ultimately, um, a lot of the destabilization that's happening in our country is interpersonal. Um it is there's an there's a lack of discourse at the nuclear family level uh i see it in a lot of my friends families uh like outcast relatives i mean this is always going to happen like whatever people need to do what's best for their mental health like i get that um but i know too that because like the impact that like maga has had on the republican party like i know plenty of people who are just like oh like Republican, like I can't even, I can't even engage with them or, or even the word evangelical. It's like, it feels like a dirty word to some people where they're like, oh, like I know what, I know what that's about. I was hurt by the church or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it's, we're just trying to figure out the best possible way to engage with people on an interpersonal level too. Like, and I think part of it is I mean, hopefully you can be a part of our little brain trust. We're trying to come up with curriculum so that we can actually, what if we can't be at screenings, if we can't have you there, if we can't have Sam Perry there, if we can't have Reverend Barber there, like to have like a study group curriculum or to have like a workbook or worksheet or something so that there's a little bit of framing for this discussion. Because mm -hmm. I think that one of the big dangers is um, like Christian nationalism just becomes another way to tar your enemy or like even i just said enemy like we're not enemies like to, to tar people who are, you have an ideological disagreement with um yeah let me i just want to answer your thing about 2025 um i mean i have read the bullet points of it i mean what they're planning it's essentially the dismantling of the demo democracy those right. pieces that make our democracy have been targeted singled out and each one of them is going to be dismantled so that whoever is in power as the president is becomes essentially the dictator you know the that's the essence of it and that is the con direct continuation of the fact that this movement has been anti-democratic for as long as it's been around mm -hmm. and it's it would be the culmination and the dominance of of the success of minority rule so that is wow. it's it's something um an answer to your question about what 2025 right is and what the danger is and uh, you know as chris was saying that the difficult part is how do you engage in people in a way that doesn't just reinforce their their antipathy to a certain group um and and just strengthen the division as opposed to reaching out when we first started this thing the goal was to figure out how can we reunite the different wings of the evangelicals how can mm -hmm. we get we thought wait a minute if we could somehow get them all together in some which is just naive but not having a clue <laughs> about what was this is before i got into it yeah. the idea was how can we reunite these wings around the teachings of jesus of course, then we figured out that the that the reaction they don't need to listen to the teachings of Jesus. They're, you know, that's an inconvenience. Mm. That's the inconvenient truth of what Jesus actually said. The Gospels, none of this. They don't use that. Mm -hmm. So, at, at any rate, that was the very naive beginning thought about what the film could do and what the problem was. But of course, the problem is not the evangelicals per se. It's it's you know how they've been used. Um, and now what they become more radicalized in many cases than their pastors. And so and, true. So true. You know, you know, you guys, you didn't mention Israel, which I thought was really interesting given our current moment. 
Um, and, you know, obviously, you, gotta, you know, you have to end the film sometime, but this is really the moment now is this question of Zionism. And I, I was, I was, I was listening to the Christian nationalists talk and you guys describe Christian nationalism. It struck me, I hear a lot of the same sentiments in hard Israeli Zionism. Yep. And, and I'm wondering, you know, some evangelical Trump voters um, in the course of the primaries have actually said the reason why they want to vote for Trump is because he moved the American embassy to Jerusalem. You know, as that's like one of the big reasons that that they are naming as the reason why they are voting for him. And so, you know, has that intersection of Christian nationalism and Zionism crossed your mind or um, or your consciousness since this Gaza um, uh ethnic cleansing. Um, now South Africa has charged them with genocide since that has actually come to the fore. Uh, well, we, <clears throat> we had basically locked the film before all this happened. Right, right. But it's a continuation of the notion of power that is um, used, that uses the religious element for its um, to convince people, and and yes, I mean certainly we know that that hardcore that that the extreme right in Israel um, does envisage a, a theocratic mm -hmm. Jewish state. So it's a, it's a, it, it is the same thing, and I think that it's not anything that our film touches upon, but mm -hmm. it's it's an example of. You're right. I mean, it is an example of of that, and it is obviously completely a denial of the rights of the Palestinians. Um, and I think that, um, but it's a very tough issue because it's yet one more thing where people are so misinformed that exactly. it's very hard to talk about without getting involved in in really complicated. Yeah. Feelings. A whole I, a whole ball of wax there, but I do want to just say the thing that made me go whoa was the the question of population, right? So population control, yeah, and mm -hmm. that is absolutely one of the things that Hetzel, um, Herzl, um, uh, said has to happen in order for the Zionist project Israel to succeed yeah. is that you have to have a majority Israelis there now. What I heard you saying in your film about Christian nationalism is there's this aha wake up moment around that time that Michelle Bachman says this is the last election, saying that the demographics, they can't control the, the demographics per se, unless they control immigration. But even then, it's like it's not you're we're already on track. So now they have to go toward the illiberal. I mean, basically, and democracy so that you can maintain white rule. So I don't want to I don't want to belabor that, but that really did strike me, especially in this current moment. Um, any other thoughts on that before I ask my next question? Okay. Not, <laughs> yeah, not really. It's it, it's 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 hard to very briefly say anything about it. Mm -hmm. There's so much so much to it, other than to say you're right. The analysis is correct. That that is an example <laughs> of what we were. That's a further example of what we're talking about. So given what you've learned about Christian nationalism, what is what do you believe is the one thing that America needs to focus on as we head into the 2024 election season? We're there. We're here now. We just had our first um, caucus, the Iowa caucuses. And so um, we're now headed into um, next is New Hampshire and then South Carolina and, and, and so on. What do we need to be focused on? Well, I think... There's a there's a dearth of education on how to discern uh, misinformation or disinformation from reality, and I know like we've got deep fakes and stuff. Like it's it's becoming harder to do that. Um, yeah. And maybe it's it's too late in the game uh, to to make uh, resources accessible to the general public <laughs> as we as we go into the primaries, but. Mm. Um, the thing we want to leave people with as much as possible and what is missing 
is the understanding that attacks on democracy, if you think, hey, I'm among the protected, I'm the ones who are going to benefit from the fact if we lose democracy, what they don't realize is that once you have an authoritarian regime that systematically excludes certain people from power, you're going to be one of those people at some point. What yeah. makes you think that that democracy is a protection, is your protection? You take mm -hmm. it away, you have no protection. Mm. You may think you're among, hey, we're going to benefit because we're white and we're Christian. No, if you don't have a democracy, you have no protection. And it's classic that revolutions eat their young. In other words, it just as they become more radical. Um, and so that's, if anything, people have to realize how precious democracy is and how they are really have, they have no rights if there's no democracy. And what, do they really feel good about leaving it to somebody like Donald Trump to decide about their own personal lives? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. The conversations leaders have on the road to justice. This is the Freedom Road Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The Freedom Road Podcast is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and this episode was engineered and produced by Corey Nathan of Scan Media. Freedom Road Podcast is executive produced by Freedom Road, LLC. We consult, coach, train, and design experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and lead to common action. And you can find out more about our work at our website, freedomroad.us. So stay in the know by signing up for our updates on Substack. Somebody say Substack. Um, we promise we will not flood your, your inbox, but there's a really a lot of great content over there. And we have a special treat now for our paid subscribers, paid Substack subscribers, and also our Patreon patrons. And we're going to have a special backstage conversation with Stephen and Chris over on those channels. So, hey... Join the conversation on Freedom Road.